I am so glad you're here this morning because uh, this message is especially for you. But if you've been a Christian for a while, it's still good because uh, I'm not going to lie, this, this morning may sting a little bit, but it's going to be a good, it's going to be a great reminder of, of why we're here, of the story. So it's, it's going to be good on both ends. Uh, the reason it's going to be good, not because I'm teaching uh, or not because you may get to lunch a little bit early, but because this morning, today, uh, we're going to talk about the one thing that separates Christianity from the rest of the world. Christianity is very different than every other faith, and we're going to be talking about the one thing that makes it different today. So, if you're curious, get your notepad ready. Um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, I ask that you get your heart ready, because uh, it may be a bit of a reality check. But if you don't mind, uh, I need, I'm going to need some help. So uh, would, would you pray with me and asking God for some help? God, I thank you so much that you've given us your word to put all of our stock in, to put all of our trust in. And uh, would you just be with me this morning? Would you help us to understand your word in a deeper way so that we can get to know you better and be better equipped to make more disciples for you? And so... Uh, just make us known, make yourself known to us this morning in your glorious name. Amen. Awesome. Uh, just to prepare you guys, we're going to be in Genesis 4 today. We're going to be uh, a little bit in Romans as well. So Genesis 4 and uh, in Romans, the beginning of Romans. So you can go ahead and mark those so you don't have to scurry to it later. I know that can be kind of aggravating. But, uh, but one thing... Have you ever tried to get a gift for somebody ever? Have you ever had to? I mean, most of us would say yes. Sometimes that can be difficult, right? Because you want to get something nice if it's somebody you care about. If it's somebody you don't care about, you don't really care. You're just going to Walmart. Hey, engine oil will work. Yeah, let's just give them that. But sometimes it's hard getting gifts for people because you want to get them something nice, but what constitutes nice? It's like... Man, should I get him something like really expensive? Would that just, would that do it? Just, hey, that took everything in my wallet right there. Is it that? Or uh, maybe something really big or flashy or maybe, you know, really small. Maybe they want something really small. I don't know. Sometimes people find value in small things or big things. So what constitutes something nice? Is it rare? I mean, sometimes it's difficult. It's really difficult to determine the value of a gift. But think about this. Here's what I think. I think the value of the gift is not found in how much it costs. It's not found in the price tag. The value of the gift is found in what it represents. Right? You think I'm right? I'm right. Um, it's the value, like how, what it means to somebody is worth so much more than what you paid for it. It's very true. A lot of women would say that was true. Kim would say that's true. Think about this. If I wanted to buy Kim a dozen roses, all right? I went into Kroger or Walmart, wherever, and okay, they had a dozen black roses and they had a dozen red roses. All right, let's say the black roses, I don't know, let's say they were more expensive. They're like, uh, let's say they're $100, red roses, they're like 60 bucks, okay? I don't know how much they are, I'm just throwing stuff out there. But 
would it be good for me to be like, okay, well, these are more expensive. They must be more valuable. So, hey, hey, baby, here's, here's uh, some black, black roses for you. No, that's foolish, right? If I want to show my wife that I love her, red roses, don't those indicate love? Yeah, so the value of the roses is not how much it costs, but what they represent. Another example, um, a few Christmases, or I guess I was in high school. Um, I was trying, it was Christmas was coming up, and I was trying to get a great gift from my mother. Uh, she did so much for us growing up. I was trying to do something really special, uh, make, it, make it really great. But I was in high school, and I had a lot of activities. So I didn't really have a job, so I didn't have a lot of money. I had a little bit of money, just not a lot. And so I didn't know what to get. It's like, how can I make this special without spending a bunch of money that I don't have? And so I ended up actually finding a small black and white picture of her with her father. And her father, uh, whenever I was in college, he passed away, and he was always very important to her. But I found that picture, and so I got an idea. What I did was I blew up that picture. I blew it up, and I put it in this frame, and I put, like, never forgotten in a verse or something like that, something spiritual. And... I gave it to her, and guys, it meant the world to her. And it cost me like 10 bucks. Like, I'm just saying, the value was not in how much I paid for it. The value was what and what it represented. It meant so much to her because what it represented was that it reminded her of her love for her father. That's what made the gift valuable. Not how much I paid for it. And so we get that. We get that. The only thing is when it comes to God, sometimes there's a disconnect. We don't really get that when it comes to God. And so uh, in Genesis 4, we have a story this week of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, two brothers. uh, And what they do is they bring two very different gifts to God. And so today we're going to look at these gifts. We're going to look at what they represent. We're going to look at the value in their gifts. And we're going to see in what bringing these gifts gifts can lead to. All right, so we're going to be in Genesis 4. Now, Cain and Abel, whenever you think about Cain and Abel, what do you think about? Yeah, yeah, okay. Cain murdered Abel. That, that, is there. We get it. And that's what we all focus on. Cain murdered Abel. Oh, raising Cain. Raising danger. Oh, he's awful. Cain is awful. We so, we've focused so much on the murder. Um, in Genesis 4, starting in verse 8, it kind of describes it. I'll just read through it real quick. Uh, it's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. But starting in verse 8, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, I'm I'm talking about the end of the story, the, the part we all know, and then I'm going to go back and really dissect it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Okay, we know that part. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? I don't think God was asking that because he didn't know. It's like, oh, where's Abel? No, okay. God was (laughs) specifically asking, okay, where's your brother Abel? Cain, I don't know, he replied. Am I, I'm not my brother's keeper. I don't know. Don't worry, I don't know. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
Now you, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. And so we see where Cain is now, where he's ended up. He's killed his brother, okay? And whenever he says, this, this uh, punishment is more than I can bear, he's not necessarily talking about having to work and it's going to be more difficult. He's talking about, we see his heart here because he's like, I'm going to have to live with the fact that I destroyed my brother. Understand that? Like, wow. He's having to live with that every single day. And later on, uh, you know, Cain was like, just kill me. You know, just kill me. And God's like, no, you're going to live. You're going to have to live with this. Man, how hard is that? I think death may have even been the easier way out. But every day he has to wake up knowing what he did. And so how did Cain get to this point? How did he get to this point? Murdering his brother. Have you ever like heard of a situation like maybe someone commits suicide or maybe um, someone decides to do something like have an abortion or something or maybe someone does something that you, you think, man, how could you ever get to that point? I don't understand. And so with Cain here, how did he get here? Because that's the story we know. He murdered his brother and he has to live with that. But how did he get there? I think that's the more important part of the story. We always focus on the murder, but I don't think that's the biggest part of the story. I think the biggest part of the story is the motive. Why? How did he get to this point? Why did he feel like he needed to get rid of his brother Abel? You know, and like I said, maybe you're in that part. Maybe you're, gosh, feeling something and... and uh, you're about to do something you know you're going to regret. What if, what if Cain, in Cain's situation, what if somebody jumped in the middle, like, just before he murdered, and what if we were, I was like, time out. Okay, Cain, Cain, come here, come here, come here, come on. What's going on, Cain? You know, like, what if, what if somebody had that opportunity to go to Cain and just time out? Let's talk, man. Let's, let's talk. Let's go get some lunch. Let's, let's uh, go to the Starbucks and talk this out. Let's, let's get these hard issues out of the way. Let's talk it out. Hey, it may have been different. It may have been different. Now, I think it happened exactly how God wanted it to happen. I think there was a purpose in it, and that purpose may be for us this morning. But we're really going to be focusing on what led to those events. And some of you may be at the peak of those events and today might be the opportunity to change your course, to change your direction. All right? So here we go. We're going to start. We're gonna, all of our focus, all of the motive, all of our focus is going to be on the gifts. The two gifts hold it all in this story. Okay? So here we go. If you, we're going to start in the beginning now, Genesis 4, verses 1 through 7. We're going to start in verse 1. Here we go. Adam made love to his wife Eve, or lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. Now, if you're already confused, you should be in Connect Kids. Um, just letting you know, if that starts a weird conversation later, sorry, um, but we're in Big Kid Church. So, um, 
Anyway, Adam, he lay with his wife, and she became pregnant for obvious reasons. Um, and so they get pregnant and have Cain and then Abel. Abel kept the flocks. Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. So we see the two gifts here. Here's where our two gifts are exposed. Cain, he brings the fruit uh, of the soil that he's been working. Because that's what he did. He kept the soil. He worked the soil. That's what he did. So he brought the fruit of his soil. All right? Abel... He brings the fat portions of, of the flock. And what this means, is, whenever it says fat portions, it means like, I'm not going to go into graphic detail, but something bad happened to the lamb, like it was slaughtered and it was a sacrifice. Okay, so Cain, we have the fruit. Abel, we have the sacrifice, his firstborn, his first and best of his herd, his flock right here. He took, he took the, the meatiest, the fattest, the best that he had. And he killed it and offered it to God. So those are, those are our two gifts. And those are the gifts we're really going to focus on because they both represent different things. So as we continue, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. In some translations, it said he had regard for Abel's gift. He had no regard for Cain's gift. So automatically that tells us, okay, there's a difference. There's a difference between these two gifts. There's value in one gift. There's no value in another gift. Okay, they have, they have to be different. He had favor. God had favor with one, not the other. Obviously, there is a distinct difference. So, if one was more valuable than the other... That tells me, okay, we have to look, what did these gifts represent? Because we know the value of a gift lies in what it represents, not the price tag. Okay, so let's look at what these represent. Um, all right, so last week, last week Josh talked about the fall of man. You know, you left kind of feeling like, whew, that felt good. Maybe not, but... We talked about the fall of man. He did an excellent job explaining sin and uh, what happened, how Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Well, because they disobeyed God, because of sin, God gave us five consequences. Five consequences we all deal with on a daily basis. This is what we have to deal with. One of them is, uh, they're going to be up here, guilt, shame, embarrassment. That's one. Okay, guilt, shame, and embarrassment. We see that whenever Adam and Eve sinned, and they hit, it says right after that, what they did whenever God, you know, was like calling out to them, they hid. Have you ever sinned and the first thing you want to do is hide? Hide from God? Oh man, I don't even want to pray right now. I just don't feel worthy. It's that shame, that guilt. Oh, I'm too embarrassed. What do you do whenever you get embarrassed? You want to hide, all right? Little kids, whenever they ding their head or they fall, they want to go into a little corner because they don't want people to see because they're embarrassed. And so whenever we sin, we, we feel that. That's a consequence. It's not, it's not good. It doesn't feel good to feel shame to feel guilt, to be embarrassed. And so that's one consequence we had to deal with. The other one, another one, uh, separation from God. Okay, obviously they were not able to walk with God the way they were meant to, the way they were created to. And so there was a separation because now they had sin in their lives and God is perfection. He, he can't be associated with sin. And so 
There's separation from God. Then there's death. There's death. We have to deal with death now. Death is now in the picture. And you, some of us are dead. And yeah, you may be breathing, but you definitely don't feel fully alive. And you know what I'm talking about. Okay? And so that's another consequence. The last two is what I'm, we're really going to focus on. The first one, physical pains. Physical pains. And this, this, this is whenever God says, okay, for women, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt, okay? <laughs> whenever you have children, it's, it's going to be awful. It's not going to be fun. You're going to have to deal with this, okay? For the man, you're going to have to really work for what you get. I gave everything to you. Now you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to spend long days in the field. You're going to have to dig. You're going to have to spend hours at the office. You're going to have to do all this stuff. You're going to have to work. So we have physical pains. I kind of wrapped all that into one with physical pains. And that's what it represents is now you have to work for it. You have to work for what you get. And this is, this consequence is where we find Cain's gift. This is why Cain has to work. This is why he's keeping the soil. He wouldn't have to keep the soil if there was no sin involved. And so he is having to work hard for the fruit that he gets. He has to work for it. He has to spend hours in the sun. He has to dig. He has to get burnt. He has to, I mean, all day he has to plant and cut and all this stuff. And he has to cultivate and he has to really work, really work hard labor for what he gets. And so when he brings his fruit offering to God... What do you think that represents? It represents his work. It represents what he can do. It's all about Cain's works. Now, the last consequence is different than all the rest of the consequences. Okay? Because there's only all, the, all of the, those first four consequences, okay, those affect us, affect us in a negative way. There's only one that leads, leads us back to God. And because of our sin, there has, we have to pay for it. There has to be a payment for our sin. So God says, okay, now there's a requirement of a perfect blood sacrifice. It's required. That's the payment. It has to be perfect. There has to be blood. It has to be sacrificed. That is ultimately what's going to pay for your sin. You disobeyed. Here's your consequence. Okay, so we have Cain. He's associated with the physical pains. He has to work hard, so his gift represents those physical pains. His, his gift represents what he can do, his work. All right? This is where Abel's gift is different. Whenever he brings that, that uh, slaughtered lamb, it's a blood sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. So when Abel brought his gift, he slaughtered his best... It was a blood sacrifice, and it represented the perfect blood sacrifice God gave to us, okay? Just like the picture that I gave my mom, it reminded her of her love for her father. Here's where Abel's gift is different than Cain's. Abel's gift, he brought it to God. Here's a sacrifice. What his gift represented it reminded God of the gift he was going to give to us. The perfect sacrifice. He was going to give us his best. 
Okay, so when Cain, when Cain came to God, says, here's my fruit. Here's, here's my fruit. Here's what I've done. It represented his work, what he can do. Abel's gift, God, thank you for giving me this. I haven't really done anything for this, but I'm going to kill it and I'm going to sacrifice it to you. Take all I have. Cain, he can always grow more fruit. Abel, he's giving God basically his best, all that he has. God, take it. And that's what reminded God of giving us our perfect gift. So that's where their value is different. One represents works. One represents a sacrifice. Okay, so we're going to really dive into this. Abel's gift pointed to Jesus. Cain's gift pointed to his work. Okay, why did God find favor in Abel's gift? Well, God will always find favor, more favor in Jesus than us, than our works. And that's why he favored Abel's gift over Cain's. All right, so here's the result. Obviously, Cain and Abel, they're brothers. What comes with brotherhood, siblings? Rivalry, right? Any parents in here, if you have two sons and you favor one over the other, there's going to be tension there, all right? The one who's not favored, they're not going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's good. No, they're going to, oh man, it's not going to feel good. And we see that with Cain here. We pick up in verse 5, 6, Somewhere it says, so Cain was very angry because God favored his brother's gift over his. He, he didn't favor his at all. And so Cain got angry and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Have you ever, have you ever been in that situation of Cain where you just get angry? I think we have more than we notice. We just get angry. Cain was like, man, I worked harder. I spent more hours than, than Abel did. I did more than Abel did. God, Abel, all he did was kill what he had. He actually did the opposite of what I created. Abel destroyed. And so Cain is like, I, I worked for this. I worked hard for this, God. I don't get any regard. That's not fair. You owe me. He's getting angry. And we're starting to see what led to what Cain did to his brother. It's just anger, anger building up. And he murdered Abel, so it looks like Cain was just very angry towards Abel. Gosh, I hate Abel. Oh, I just like to... Abel, you know, it's just that anger. Sometimes we felt that towards people. It's just like, man, that person, they say the wrong thing to me whenever I walk in the office. Lord help them, Okay. And so we, we felt that anger before. But you know what? I don't think all that anger was towards Abel. I think Cain was sort of angry at God. God, I did this for you. I worked hard for you. And nothing, nothing. I don't get anything. I don't get any regard. Man, he's angry. Because God could care less about his work. He has no regard. We see, a, uh, we see something similar in Luke. In Luke chapter 10, we have Martha and Mary. They're two sisters. Hey, there we go again, siblings. All right? And Jesus comes in their house. 
First thing Mary does, she just goes and hangs out with Jesus. What does Martha do? She starts working, cleaning up the house. Oh, man. The king of the universe is here. I got to clean. I got I to gotta, I gotta mop everything. I got to dust. I got to make this presentable. And she gets aggravated like Cain. She gets aggravated. Jesus, are you not going to, are you just going to let Mary sit there and not do anything while I'm working very hard to make this, to do this for you? I'm working hard. What's the deal? But Jesus finds favor in what Mary's doing, not in what Martha's doing. So she's getting irritated. I'm working hard for this. Cain feels this way. Martha feels this way. We felt that way. Have you ever been bitter towards God? You ever felt angry towards him? I think that's why a lot of us, oh man, this may be a gut check. I think a lot of us, that's why we're holding back. We don't want to go all in. We don't want to fully believe because we're angry at God. He took somebody from me. Well, God, you did this to me. I don't want to, I don't want to, this may sting. I don't want to give. God, what have you done for me? I feel like I'm working so hard. I'm not going to fully give. Why should I keep working hard for you if you haven't given me what I wanted? Oh man, and you know, you know what we're saying here? We're saying, God, you owe me. We're holding back because we're angry at God. And we're, we're waiting for God to give us favor. God, you owe me favor. Look at what I keep doing for you. You know what? Some of us think our gift to God is showing up and sitting in the seat that you're sitting in. <clears throat> Some of you think that's your gift. Can, can, let's just put this in perspective. I'm, not, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, let's, let's look at this, okay? So you're saying, God's saying, oh, thank you so much for blessing me with your presence. Thank you. Thank you for you. You know, it's just... Do you see how that's flipped? This is the God who created the entire universe. And there's so many days when we feel like we are just blessing him with our presence. Here you go, God, I'll show up. You're welcome. Where's my favor? Gosh, that's why a lot of us, that's why maybe some of us don't like the church. That's why maybe some of us send angry emails. Because we're coming to church looking for God's favors. God, you owe me. I'm showing up to church, so you better give me what I deserve. The music better not be too loud. The teaching better be what I want it to sound like. It better, he better talk about what I want him to talk about. It better look how I want it to look in here. It better smell how I want it to smell. That's kind of weird, but, you know, we, we come to church and we're like, man, you better give me what I want. And then when we don't get what we want, guess what? We bail. We bail on God, we bail on the church, and we tell everybody about it. Man, I'm not trying to point a finger. I'm right there with you. But we've gotten to this bitter point because we are so focused on us. God, I've done this for you. I showed up to church, God. I went to Bible study. God, I prayed before my meals. God, I put my hand on my heart during the Star Spangled Banner. God, I do this. I send my kid to a, to a Christian school. What the heck? And we're so focused on us, what we're doing for God. God, I did this. Look at me. I worked those fields. 
How do you not have regard for my fruit, for my work? That's where we are. Like Cain, we are so focused on our hard work and what we can do to get the favor of God. Here's the thing. Every bit of that thinking is me-focused. And with that way of thinking comes a me-focused gospel. This is the gospel most of us believe. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not the gospel. It's good. It's good. It's good. It, It can be truth. But it's not the gospel. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Where's all the focus? It's on us. Here's the gospel. Uh, David Platt, uh, he's, he has his doctorate. He's a preacher in Birmingham. He's a spirit-filled man. And uh, he came up with this definition. And it is probably the most accurate definition of the gospel I've come to find. And so uh, we're going to look at it. Uh, here's his definition. It's pretty long. If you want to write it down, I recommend you doing so. Uh, but here we go. Here's, here's the gospel. The just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin and the resurrection so that all who have faith in him will be reconciled to God forever. Simple. I mean, when people come up to say, what's the gospel? That's all you got to say, right? But let, let's look at it. The, the foundation of the gospel. What we have to wrap our heads around, I tried to help you out, different color than the rest of it, okay? The just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people. We skip over that part. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You do good things, God's gonna be so good to you. It's not the gospel. The heart of the gospel lies and we are hopelessly sinful people. We're hopelessly sinful. What does hopeless mean? No hope. What does that mean? There's no chance of you earning your salvation. No chance. There's nothing you can do. There's not enough days you can work in the field. There's not enough chores you can do for Jesus. There's not enough that you can do that's going to pay for your sin. You are hopeless. I know, we feel giggly inside. We feel good, right? Um, It'll get better, I promise. But we have to wrap our heads around this. We are hopelessly sinful people. We are selfish. We are so focused on us. So this is the first thing we need to understand about the gospel. We are hopelessly sinful. There's no hope. This means anything we can do will not be good enough. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to gain the favor of God. Now, if you look at me, uh, or look with me, not look at me, you're all looking at me. If you look with me at, uh, at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. This is not... The most feel-good passage in Scripture, but we'll just, we'll look at it real quick. Here is what Paul says about every one of us, all of us in the Christian faith. Here's what it says, all of humans. As it is written, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
We always say, you know, why, does good, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Paul tells us right here, there's no one that's good. Okay? There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is not a compliment. It's not a compliment. We are hopelessly sinful people. There's no hope based on what we can do. And this is the epitome of Cain's gift. Look at what I did. God's like, Cain, you don't get it. You don't get it. So it's impossible to gain God's attention through our good works. It's impossible. God, look at me. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Look how many times I was perfect attendance in church uh, this year. God, look what I did. Look what I did. He's not impressed. Tell me something. How can something that's imperfect impress something that's perfect? How can imperfection impress perfection? It's impossible. God, look what I did. God's like, created the universe. I'm not impressed. Not impressed. Now, Let's dive into the hope part of it, okay? Let's, let's get into the good news. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. There's nothing we can do. We're hopeless. We got it, okay? If we could go ahead and put that up there. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, okay? Two big points. The wages of sin is death. What's a wage? Payment. You earn it, right? A wage is something that you earn. So the wages of sin is death. That is what... Hey, raise your hand if you've sinned. Okay, good. If someone beside you uh, didn't raise their hand, you can turn to them and say, uh, you're a liar, but that's okay because I am too. All right? (laughs) If you're a new Christian, I'm sorry. Know that I've probably outsinned you 10 to 1. Okay, I don't want this to sound condemning. I just, we have to realize that it's not about what we can do. Okay, so this is what Paul is saying. This is the gospel. You know, maybe, maybe you don't really get that whole sense of it's just God's great of the universe. Look upon hopeless sinful people and sin on Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his, sin, uh, his wrath against sin on the cross uh, and show his power over sin and the resurrection of all and we can reconcile to him forever. Okay, maybe, maybe you can't really wrap all that up. This one sentence wraps up the entire gospel. This one sentence, for the wages of sin is death. What you've earned is death. Congratulations. Oh, yeah, okay, you want me to look at your works? You want me to, you want me to look at that? Okay. Death. <laughs> we've earned death. But the gift... What's a gift? How much does it cost? What? It's free. 
You don't do anything for a gift. When your parents gave you uh, gifts on Christmas morning, all right, how much do I owe you? No, it's free. The gift of God is eternal life, free. There's no payment. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do but the free gift, which is eternal life, only comes through Jesus, only comes through the requirement of the perfect blood sacrifice, only comes through perfection. And Jesus is the only route. He's the only way. He's the only payment that satisfies sin. It's the only thing. This is the truth that separates Christianity from every other faith in the world. It's the one thing. That's what separates it. It's what makes it different. Every other faith, it doesn't matter which one, Islam, Judaism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, all of them. It doesn't matter. You can email me. It doesn't matter. It's all works-based. It's all works-based. Islam, you got to follow these five pillars. Whenever you die, you know what? Allah, he's going he's gonna to weigh your deeds. If you have more good than bad, then, you know, if he's, in, if, if he's in a good mood, he might let you in. Or, hey, if you go take drastic measures, he's going to let you in, okay? I'm just saying, you got to do this. Judaism, you got to follow the law. The law, the law, the law. Pharisees, the law. If you don't follow the law, you're, you're hopeless. It's based on what you do. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, hey, if you, don't, if you don't get baptized, there's no hope for you. If you don't go door to door, there's no hope for you. And I'm sorry if I'm offending some of you, but this is real. It's all works-based. Christianity is the only one that it's not about what you do, it's about what he did. It's not about what we can do, it's about what he already did. And accepting that, accepting the gift... We are hopeless without Jesus. We're hopeless without him. Jesus is the only way. That's why God found favor in the gift of Abel. Because it's not about what Abel could do. It's about the perfect gift God was going to give us. And that's what it pointed to. Where's Jesus in this story? It's in the gift of giving everything. And that's exactly what God gave to us. So... Maybe you're new to this whole Christian thing. That's where you need to stay today. I'm going to keep, I got another point to get to, but that's where you need to stay. If you don't understand this meaning of the gospel, there's, not, there's nowhere else you need to go. That's the first step. We have to understand there's nothing we can do without Jesus. There's no gift we can bring that'll satisfy sin, that'll give us the favor of God other than Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the only perfect gift. And I know we've been focusing a lot on there's nothing you can do. You can't do anything to earn your salvation. Jesus comes in and says, you don't have to. You don't have to. I'm doing it for you. So I know I sounded condemning. I sounded all negative. But 
unless we understand that, we don't get the goodness of the gift. Does that make sense? The more we understand how sinful we are, the better the gift is. The better we understand grace. God gave us what we didn't deserve because we didn't earn it. Okay, now, we have to understand that. For a lot of you, God is not wanting the work of your hands. He's begging for your heart. He's not interested in what you can do. He wants your heart. He just wants you to trust him. He just wants you to know that you're not good enough and you need him. And he's going to be there for you. So for some of you, for a lot of us today, that's where we need to stay. God, I've never given you my heart. God, I've focused so much and people have even taught me that's about what I do. God, I've, I've been trying to press you for so long. And I've gotten angry towards you because I feel like you owe me. So God, today I'm, I'm letting go and I'm realizing that nothing I can do is gonna be good enough, but I'm so grateful that there's nothing I have to do to be good enough because Jesus did it for me. Okay. Now, I don't, want, I don't want to sit up here and bash all the good works that God calls us towards because there's a purpose in that, okay? Good works are significant. James, in his letter, he tells us, faith, if not accompanied by works, is dead, okay? So, if you're a Christian and you, you claim to love Jesus and yeah, I'm with you, I'm on board, be your life but your life doesn't reflect that, you don't live that out, James is saying, hey, that's worthless. Okay, here's the difference. You're never going to be able to live it out unless you understand the gift of Jesus. The only way you can give God anything worthy is if you understand the gift he gave to you. Okay, so there's a place in it. When we're focused on doing good, in order to get God's approval, you know what? Our gifts become an obligation. That's why some of us have hated church. We don't like coming to church because it's an obligation. Obligation is not, not a positive word. Woo, I got this obligation. No, it's like, ugh, I have to do this. We feel obligated. And then whenever we do it and we don't get what we want, that leads to anger. Obli- Obligated gifts lead to anger, which is where Cain was. Okay, I got to bring what I worked for. I got to bring it to God. And he became angry when he didn't get the favor. And so obligated gifts, they lead to anger. And this is where it went south for Cain. Focus says, I give. This This is what we're saying whenever it's based on what we do. I give so salvation can be given to me. That's what we're saying. When we are focused on doing good because we already have God's approval, our gifts become our desire. And when our gifts become our desire, giving becomes our joy. Joy and anger, two opposites. One's obligation, one is a desire. I want to do this. God says it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's because whenever you give, you understand the gift of Jesus. And this focus says, I give because salvation has been given to me. Not so that salvation can be given, but because salvation is given. Because I understand 
what Jesus did for me, I understand that love. Man, I can't hold it inside. I can't help it. I have to go share that with somebody else. Man, I've been told good news. I can't help but tell somebody else that good news. But guess what? You can't give somebody something you don't have. And so it's not until we understand that gift that we're able to give that way. We're able to give joyfully. Some of you are bitter. Some of us, I'm with you. Some of us are bitter and angry because we have to give, because we make an obligation. Well, what am I getting out of it? See, true giving, I'm not, I mean, tithe is, is included, but it's not just that. True giving of your heart, man, it becomes joyful when you understand the reason. I give because God gave to me. Not I give so that God will give to me. Totally different focus. One has value, one does not. So just like Cain and Abel's gifts, our gifts that say, God, I'm giving you this so that you can give me something, that points to me. Cain's gift pointed to Cain. Abel's gift pointed to Jesus. I'm giving this to you because you are worthy and you gave me the perfect gift. So, how can we do well? How can we do well? Abel did well in the eyes of God. He, he found favor. How can we do that? How can we find God's favor? How can we have his regard? How can God look on us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? How can we do that? By bringing an offering to God that represents the offering he gave to us. Does your gift point to you? Or does it point to Jesus? That's the difference between Cain's gift and Abel's gift. One, no value, works-based. One, total value, points to Jesus. Do you know that whenever, in Psalm 45, 11, God says, the king is enthralled by your beauty? Well, he's not really seeing you when he sees your beauty. He's seeing Jesus inside of you. When God looks at Jesus, he is well-pleased. That's the difference. So how can we do that? We offer to God something that represents his offering to us. What does this look like? This may, be, this may mean surrendering all you have to God and giving him everything. This may mean putting others before yourself on a daily basis. This may mean uh, husbands severing your wives and laying down your life for your wife. Wives, this may mean Setting your life aside and supporting your husband and respecting him. This may mean giving God complete control over your finances. That could be your gift to God. God, you have control. This may mean giving up precious time in your week to love on your small group or to love on people in your community. Putting their time above your own. This may mean stepping out of your comfort zone and leading. Oh, I don't feel comfortable with that, so I'm not going to do it. But you know what? God, because you gave me Jesus, I can feel a little uncomfortable. This may mean spending more time in the Word to share with someone else. God, I know I really want to watch this TV show, 
but I haven't, I haven't really met with you today. So I'm gonna give you me. I'm gonna give you my attention. This may mean giving everything you have. This may mean setting your, your stuff aside. This may mean giving up your life for him because that is exactly what he did for us. Whenever your gifts to God point directly to Jesus, that is when he looks on you and he says, I am well pleased and I find favor in you. So where do your gifts point to? Do they point to you? Do they point to God, you owe me? Or do they point to Jesus? God, thank you so much for giving me something there's no way I could ever deserve. When our gifts point to Jesus, that's when our lives change. That's when stuff starts happening. That's when you notice the difference of Jesus in your life. That's when you hear God speaking to you. That's when you feel his spirit because he finds favor in his son. He loves his son. And every little thing that reminds him of his son is worthy. So where are you at today? Maybe you need to focus on that first step. Man, I really need to focus on the gift of Jesus. If I don't understand that, I'm not gonna be able to give anything to God. So maybe that's your step. A lot of us, just sitting still. Maybe coming up front. Maybe God's calling you to give up your life today. Maybe God's wanting you to say, just give up. Stop trying to do. Receive. Take what I've given you. And maybe some of you understand that gift. And it's time to refocus on it so that you can fully give to God the way he gave to you. Would you pray with me? God, it's hard to know what to say when we've been so focused on what we can do. But God, we just come to you right now and we give it all to you. Help us focus in on the perfect gift that you gave us. God, we realize that we are hopelessly sinful without you. And we are recognizing our need for you in this moment right now. So God, give us Jesus. Help us see the love of Jesus. Help us know that we are good enough because of Jesus. We are worthy because of Jesus. We are here living, breathing because of Jesus. God, thank you for your gift. Remind us of this daily. Stay in our hearts. Keep speaking to us, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And God, equip us, strengthen us to, to be able to give to you with a joyful heart. So God, this morning, give us your joy. Give us your love so that we can give you everything we have. In your glorious name, amen.